I still close every one of my meetings with my team members. If there's anything I can do to help you guys out, let me know. And it's still very much my philosophy of like having that, that general support. Hi, I'm Nils Vinya, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Vinya, and today my guest is Tony Fisher. Tony, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here with you, Tony. Thanks so much for joining me. Before we get started and dig into your background, would you please share with me and this audience the role that you're in today and the company that you work for? Absolutely. So I'm the VP of Support and Customer Success at CenterCode. CenterCode, basically, we provide a SaaS platform for early release or pre-release product testing. Basically, we've kind of, we consider perfected the beta test into what we consider the delta test by decades of, you know, uh, test kitchen and kind of getting things all put together and, and proven. Then we basically built platform around that exact process. So it gets you up to speed really fast on producing a project to test a product, um, including bringing in testers, collecting feedback, getting that data together, dashboarding, getting reports out, the whole shebang. So, wow. That's pretty cool. All right. So what do you mean you've perfected the beta test? What does that mean? <laughs> so throughout the years, we basically provided a service and also the platform that was more sandbox oriented and then we had a bunch of tools. You can use them however you wanted. We had best practices around what you would want to do. But over the years, we've been sort of proving out the best processes and things that were most effective through the research and just having that service organization on our side. And so through that process, we basically established key like procedures, key processes, key components of testing that we've been, been able to sort of prove out and bake into the platform itself. So it's simplified, it's practically automatic in a lot of ways, and it's consistent process that because the platform supports it directly, it makes it really easy to drop things in and get consistent results that way. That's pretty cool. It's interesting how you combined the tool and the platform with the process. That's something you don't see terribly often, especially in the CS world. You often have a tool and then you have a process and they don't always live together. What did it really take just you know, conceptually at a high level to bake in a process into the tool and have them live together? Yeah, that, that was it was a very long process. And it, it's one of those things that yeah, as you go through, again, we provided it was more sandboxy, more toolboxy. So I think that's like you mentioned, that's the way a lot of platforms are today in that, you know, most businesses have their own process, they have their own expectations, their own needs. And so providers usually provide, hey, here's the tool set all in one big bucket, right? We did that for a long, long time. It really did take a sort of a mental stop point where we said, okay, we need to really dedicate to building what we've proven to be effective. Now we still have all the sandboxing options and all that kind of stuff in there, but 
we've been able to basically transition into taking the things that were the most effective individual processes and then supporting them through specific UI elements or specific components. But to your point, it was a very big mental shift. And it actually was part of a rally to effectively, I guess, standardize or, or sort of carve out a real component of the industry in that space, because everyone has always been doing it exactly however they want it, which was there's you know, marketing betas, there's alpha betas, there, there's you know dog fooding betas. These are all people call beta. There's like hundreds of different terms. So being able to actually say this is the right way to do it, we've proven that it's the right way to do it. Of course, everyone has you know a little flexibility here and there, but you know this process is consistently excellent results and all that kind of stuff. So we decided to give it a name and we named it the next iteration. So Delta. That's cool. That's fantastic. I was going to ask you what did Delta mean, but now we get it. <laughs> it's the next evolution. That's really fascinating. And just to see, you know, one, how long it takes to really refine a process, but then two, to integrate it into the solution, that is no small feat. So that's a really interesting approach. And I imagine it has huge implications from a customer success point of view too, because now you're not just worrying about enabling people on the platform you have a huge added hand that the process is already integrated into there. So does that make your CS life job and CS life and job any easier? Right now we're in the point where, yes, it will eventually, but right now it's relatively fresh. So we still have the majority of our customers are still sort of making the transition from their homebrew solution into this. So it's in the, I guess you could consider it the more turbulent part of the success journey right now in converting existing customers in their old ways into, you know, seeing the light, so to speak. But again, obviously you have the folks that uh, you still want them to get the good results that they're expecting that they need, you know, their value. And so you try and do your best to kind of get that. And anyone who can kind of see any of these benefits and kind of get the efficiencies and things like that. We want to help find those individual things. So it's definitely a lot of, there's some cherry picking going on right now, but eventually at the point, it's like they kind of tip over the scale and eventually say, oh, you know what? Okay, let's try it this way. And then they finally see that it's, you know, that that process works out. So it's turbulent now, but it's going to be better. Yeah, Yeah, turbulent now, but it's going to get better. That's awesome. Exactly. Love it. Very cool. Fascinating stuff. And, you know, really insightful on what can happen in the future. Like when you have deep domain expertise, deep experience with customers and your product can become the solution, not just, you know, in a tool, but in the process integration too. So that's super cool. Very interesting. All right. So let's shift gears and let's talk about how did you get into your first leadership position? All right. So as far as my leadership experience and how I got into this position, so to be completely honest, center code is effectively my first real leadership position. And for transparency, I worked at CenterCode for over 10 years now, and I came out of service industry. I worked at, you know, as everyone else has, um, worked at Starbucks for a number of years through college. And I mean, technically I had, you know, a supervisor position there, but it was really just, uh, it, it wasn't quite the same as a, you know, what we're talking about today. So the leadership position that I, that I am in now and sort of grew into over those 10 years, it was really more of an organic growth into this space. There were definitely some milestones hit where you know, we hit a certain threshold. Was, okay, well, there's a title related to this now and those kinds of things. You know, there's a name for it. But growing into and kind of establishing and getting this position was definitely a labor of love, labor of passion and, and driving for results that I wanted in my you know neck of the woods, so to speak. I started in support. And so I just basically pushed for the most effective support and the best customer experience and those kinds of things. And eventually, you know, the, the, the wake behind me became 
people and and you know procedures and kind of defining things about things and it just sort of shaped into being more departmentally shaped and and kind of started getting that leadership footprint over time. Okay, so super interesting. One, you've been at Center Code for 10 years and this was, you know, first job that you had outside of school and outside of Starbucks and whatnot and interesting great experiences there but totally different world. And I liked what you said, there was a very organic growth into this place. There was no nobody, your CEO saying, okay, well, here's what you have to do to become VP of CS, or here's what you have to do to become director, or here's blah, blah, blah. Tell us more about that organic growth and what are some of the key principles and things that you kept in mind that kept you pushing, you know, get into a job. Oftentimes being there for 10 years doesn't happen all that often these days. So what were some of the things that helped you get through those times and that you relied on that you knew was just the right thing to do and ultimately led you to this place of being VP? Absolutely. So I think one of the big things, again, early on, I had, I guess, a lot of room to grow, which was really helpful. You know, Center Code was about 10 years old at that point. And so we were still kind of small businessy. Um, we were sort of a, still a startup mentality sort of kind of shape to where there was a lot of you know, wearing of many hats. And so what really ended up happening was I was actively looking for the hats that I needed to wear uh, or that I could wear that would help get me more domain knowledge and more understanding of the customer space and just kind of taking ownership. It's it's not that um, I, I didn't have like a trust for my uh, my colleagues and the folks in other departments around me. I absolutely did. But I'm the kind of person who I want to take ownership of the things that I'm responsible for. And I viewed myself as effectively owning the customer experience, the customer support experience. And so with that sort of drive, I was always looking for ways to make my job more efficient, more effective and get a little bit deeper. And, you know, a lot of times people see the wearing of many hats as like picking up different roles or different responsibilities from different roles. That's definitely the case in a lot of ways, but there was also, you know, there's direct support. Well, how can I bring in more angles of direct support? Is it chat support, email support, phone call support? Eventually that grew into finding, you know, standard tooling for that kind of thing and finding efficiencies. And then as the you know, customer base grew, I needed some help managing all of that. So then, you know, I got some help and I was responsible for effectively getting that person up to speed and training that person. And so now I was suddenly in a place where I was a manager of an individual. It wasn't quite so formal at that point, but it was still the kind of thing where I was responsible for their success as well. So then I had to pass on the knowledge and now I have formalized knowledge. It just That's kind of the organic overtime just built into being a thing, you know? That's really interesting. And that's perfect description of what organic from a leadership growth and development perspective can look like and can mean in an environment like that. But the key driver that I heard you there, heard you say there was that it was one of ownership. You took ownership of making whatever it was you were doing, whether it was support, whether it was the customer's experience, whether it was the support experience, you took complete ownership of that which you were responsible for and then looked for all the different ways to, one, get it started, and then two, make it better and find efficiencies, and then three, bring in a team, and four, all of a sudden, you know, down the line, you're leading this team of individuals who are running a, an efficient system. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. Yeah. And as it grows and as it grows, you start finding these, these like forks in the road where things kind of split off being a little bit different here and there. That's where I got the introduction into customer success as, you know, driving customer support and training and knowledge and enablement. 
success is an obvious sort of like, wait, okay, how do I maintain this? How do I be more proactive about it? And then that forked into being, okay, now support and success. And there's these two avenues that are, you know, a little bit different, reactive and proactive, but yeah. And it is sort of that more organic growth into taking ownership of certain experiences and certain components of the job. Absolutely. Yeah. That's really interesting. You know, many wearing many hats and I like how you differentiated between not just the role that you're playing, but also the, how would you do it? Say the, the slice of the role that you're playing, like the different yeah. angle or something like that. Um, typically yeah. we'd think of hats as, you know, I'm, you know, CS hat and I'm finance hat and I'm ops hat and I'm a support hat and whatnot, but those are big, gigantic categories. So give us a little bit more detail on the slicing of the hats as you look at support, as you look at CS. And when you think about wearing multiple hats, how granular of a level of detail are you actually going down to as you think about what could make this better? I think with regards to kind of the different slices and, and kind of the, I guess they're like smaller hats, they're like little quotes. Maybe it's, maybe it's more of a deeper hat. They turn into top hats that were very tall. I don't know. Okay. We'll go with the top hats. Yeah. <laughs> top I like top hats. hats. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, like kind of getting in, into the depth of things, you start trying to find, um, again, more of taking that ownership and being responsible for that, that side of the, the experience or the, or the role or the job. There are always aspects that you kind of learn as you go, friction points, you know, challenges, those kinds of things that come up that aren't on the straight and narrow. They, they aren't on the main path, right? So there may be things that you discover or you think about, or you're kind of instructed toward by resources that you read about, or, you know, articles that you see or things like that. Or they could be things that you personally experience or you, you know, hear from directly from a customer, right? You know, those could be everything from, you know, speaking of, of you know, the, the support side of things specifically, we've got, um, you know, direct chat support, right? They're talking to you, customers talking to you about an issue. There are so many aspects to just the concept of chat support that could kind of have you pulling in responsibilities all over the place, right? Like, how do you take an issue that you collect from chat support into engineering? How do you, you know, decide or, or determine what is the, the original intent or the design intent behind a specific thing to whether or not it's a bug or an improvement or things like that, right? So defining those avenues, defining that stuff, that's a, an aspect that it borrows from those other departments, but it's still your hat, right? It's still just enriching your, your responsibility. So those are like that, just as a small example, is kind of the things that, you know, every kind of component as you're viewing these things and trying to do basically just do a better job overall searching for all the options and all the ways that you can it lets you dig into those things and say okay well how do i make this more effective how do i make this more efficient and i think that comes with both the ownership side of it and also having a passion for the customer or whatever role you're in right having a passion for whatever you're doing makes you really seek out how to really get the polish on it how to make you know ownership of it be proud of what you're doing so with that angle and that lens and kind of looking at it from that hat perspective, is it ever possible to be done? <laughs> no, <laughs> honestly, no. We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. So now this leads me to the question of, if you look at, each of the areas that you're responsible for from that level of depth, 
could probably be a little overwhelming given the fact that any of these areas, one chat message could yield a whole bunch of different opportunities. So how do you prioritize where to spend your time and where to focus on what to make more efficient when literally anything could be made more efficient? So I think there's sort of two aspects to it. One is definitely prioritization, right? Like, like you mentioned, and and how to do that, um, I'll touch on just saying, but the other aspect of it that I think is really important is you're never done, but eventually you get to the point where you just have to hand off. And so, you know, I've got members of my team where, you know, I'm constantly looking for those efficiencies and for, for ways to make things better in that regard, but I've also kind of pushed responsibility down. And so again, really that organic growth, right? That's where I'm getting sort of the middle management side of things or, or not necessarily, but, you know, like role responsibilities. So I'm not done. They're not done. And eventually whoever they, you know, the, the segment or the small piece, that's how, you know, organizations get bigger, right? Is by you know, kind of extending further. So that aspect of it is definitely a huge component. That said, uh, with, with regards to, I'm sorry, I lost track. The of, prioritization. Yes, absolutely. There are definitely components of timeline. Um, there are definitely components of interaction with other teams, um, which is definitely something that'll kind of push priority. And with everyone you know, in a silo, you can say, oh, this is what most of my customers have issue with, or this is where I think our weakest points are in enablement and onboarding or those kinds of things. But you're always going to be sort of influenced by the company position and then your, your organizational goals are going to be pushing you in certain directions as well. So getting all those factors together and sort of feeling out where you can make the most ground at any point in time without losing the work list basically. Right. So, you know, for right now, I might be focusing really hard on updating our onboarding resources and our onboarding products because I have the mental attention of the product team and, you know, the training team. So I can push that, but that doesn't mean that I'm at all forgetting that I need to make more efficient processes with engineering, but they're busy right now. So there's definitely a large factor of like, you know, office, not politics isn't isn't the term at all, but it's basically like kind of finding out where you can make your mark, where you can get your impact is definitely a major factor. Cool. And if you're aligned with those teams and perhaps work that they're doing during those times, then, you know, all the more power to both of you to come together and solve those problems at that point in time. Absolutely. Yeah. You can actually ride their wave sometimes if they're getting more, more focus or whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. Something that happens too. Helping them will ultimately help you in the long run. So we all win. Cool. All right. So when you did bring on other members and now all of a sudden you're in a leadership position with new team members. I, you talked about the training aspect. It makes total sense. So how did you go about transitioning from, you know, you were literally the only person doing all the work to now there was a team members, team and team members who were there to do the work. And that's a, that's a big shift, both mentally and just tactically. How did you navigate that transition from IC to leader? I think one of the biggest things or one of the things that, that helped me get to that transition or and make that happen was understanding what my requirements or personal requirements or what, what those kind of KPIs, what those, those metrics were that I was responsible for and also what I was pushing for, identifying which ones were reasonable to basically pass on to and kind of require of others and which ones I was responsible for outside of my organization as well. And basically make those things that anyone else doing this role should also be responsible for. And really it's just basically giving that definition so that, you know, you have a role definition you can hold someone else accountable for as well, as long as you enable them and give them the tools and all that kind of stuff. 
So I had my tools, I passed on my tools, we shared them, we you know, got into the thing, and we both met, you know, this is when I brought on one other person really early on in the way, we both met the same goals. And eventually it grew into being, okay, we'll bring on another person, they have the same expectations. Okay, I have enough bandwidth over there now that I can break away from that and focus much more on working on the business instead of in the business, make a clean break, say, okay, I'm going to be keeping an eye on it and helping out wherever I can. That's, I still close every one of my meetings with my team members. If there's anything I can do to help you guys out, let me know. And it's still very much my philosophy of like having that, that general support, but that sort of growing the sort of foundational requirements of what you do and then stepping away from it and keeping an eye on it, right? Because you've got those metrics, you've got those KPIs, so you can do that. I'm very much a hands-on. I mean, obviously, because of this, this kind of organic growth aspect of it, I do the thing first to understand how to kind of get there and then kind of build out foundations and pass it on. So it, with everything that we've done as far as you know, knowledge base to training resources, to general chat support, to any of our customer success stuff, all that stuff um, are all things that I've had my hands in. So I understand them and I know what to expect. And then I can kind of pass those responsibilities on and they're fair. And at the same time, I know where the gaps are, where the challenges are and things like that. So what do you find in situations where you pass that on, you've been there, you've done it, you pass that on and the individual who takes it on certainly executes against that, but then they have a maybe a totally different perspective on how to approach this. I imagine that may have come up once or twice. What happens in that case? Because you were actually the one to create it in the first place. Yeah, there's, I mean, absolutely. This is one of those lessons getting up there is a little bit of humility. So yeah, I mean, when you, when you have that kind of ownership and you have that sort of passion toward that, that aspect of it, you know, so a lot of times you're really pushing for what you have as in your vision, right? And so there's absolutely a point in time where they're like, well, this is the right way. And you have to think about it. You know what? Actually, that's a good point. You know, there are a lot of times when like, I've had to kind of back off a little bit because I thought I had all the information and you don't, you just have to recognize that you don't always have the information that you expect to have or think you have um, and be able to go from there. So yeah, there have definitely been conversation points where, you know, sit down either one-on-one or in a group setting, depending on what's appropriate, but you know, you got to give a, you know, an, an honest listen and kind of genuinely consider what you have and what they have and find out, you know, if there's something that you were missing or if they actually do have, you know, the, the right path forward. And sometimes that stuff boils up to even, you know, to my leadership as well. Like they brought something up. I was wrong about something, you know, they, they had a great point, great idea. And one of the things that we do consistently and, you know, is a really nice thing is we celebrate wins a lot in our, we have like Slack channel for wins and things like that. And so those are kinds of cases and, you know, individual recognition points um, for like the virtues and things like that of center code. And one of them is curiosity. Um, one of them is virtuous. So it's, you know, it basically digging into something and finding out and kind of learning. And then virtuous is basically taking ownership and, you know, honestly, those kinds of things where if you make a mistake, own up to it and say, look, I made a mistake. There was a problem here. We're seeking a solution, but you know, those kinds of things and celebrating those kinds of things, it helps with that humility aspect of it. And it helps with being able to say they had a good idea. I'm boiling that up to my leadership as well. And realistically, like you mentioned before, you know, if we're working together on this, everybody wins. So really like if I was wrong about something and I made some mistakes, someone else brought something up, whether they're they're direct for me or there's someone else. I mean, the rising tide is it raises all ships. So, you know, the, the company's better in the long run and, and that's what's most important. That's great points. I'm glad you brought up the core values because I was next question was going to be around, well, how do you foster an environment where people feel comfortable to bring up those kinds of things when they are handed this thing from the person who actually created it. <laughs> you know, sometimes that can be a little bit 
off-putting depending on level and tenure and comfort level and just personality. Like it may not always be the easiest thing to do. So curiosity is one, virtuous is another. We said that you celebrate the wins, which is great, but tell me more about how the company as a whole embodies these core values and how they end up facilitating or, or helping you build that kind of environment where it's fine for people to push back or bring new ideas to the table. Absolutely. So one of the things that, that stands out is, you know, our Slack channels, I mean, because everything's about now, especially um, Slack channels are, uh, there's a lot of group channels and company-wide channels. So, you know, we have just the center code overall channel that obviously everyone is in and has, you know, kind of posted things like that. CEO posted in there just as well as the new hire that got brought in. Whenever anyone new starts, there's a big welcome to the team kind of thing. Birthdays are celebrated in the channel, that kind of thing. So it's a very communicative channels. We've also got, you know, smaller niche channels and things like that, like the California channel, because we have folks that are in Utah or Georgia or uh, I'm in Washington. So Center Code North is also a channel. Um, there's a good handful of us in the Pacific Northwest. So, but basically collaborative channels is one thing, um, kind of keeping lines of communication open and consistent and the intermingling of leadership and every employee basically has equal voice in the space. Um, that's a big part of it for sure. Oh, no, that's huge. Uh, just the... The space that's there and just the openness you know, from day one, as you were saying, the brand new person. And, and I'm sure there's a lot of encouragement to get active in that channel. And yes, the CEO is in there too. And that's great. That's a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we also do uh, you know all hands meetings where pretty much every all hands that we've had has had some aspect of you know, give us your feedback on the things that we've been talking about. And, you know, we have uh, specific, you know, feedback forms and things like that that you can throw in. They can be anonymous if you want, or you can throw in, you know, it can be named. We also have just a lot of collaborative stuff that we try and do. We have, you know, company party things, even in the remote side of things, you know, Christmas parties and things like that. We've done remote Christmas parties where we basically kind of pull everybody together and we do a lot of activities. We send out kind of gift packages and things like that to people that have gingerbread house building things. So that's one of the activities we do all together. So just a lot of that kind of stuff of just being able to interact with each other in a very collaborative, but also a friendly and and inviting kind of space. It's a big part of it for sure. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's great. And, you know, it takes everybody, the the rising tide again, right? It takes, it takes your CEO, it takes your leadership, takes you, takes your team. And I imagine that everybody wants to be part of that because everybody is part of that, (laughs) right? It kind of, the culture builds on itself once the foundation is laid, but it's, you know, in the early days, you know, you joined when it was about 10 years old. Was that culture in place from the point at which you joined or is that had been an evolution organic too? A little bit of both, I think. It's definitely grown into being a stronger foundation. It is a, a you know, a, a concrete foundation at this point because we've got all this stuff. But realistically, I mean, I first met CEO and CTO playing video games. So I was playing as we didn't know each other at all. We played actually we played games together for probably two years, maybe a little less than two years, before I actually got the offer to join the team. So I was already you know very familiar with them on on that level. But in meeting everyone else in the organization um, and all the other leadership team members and all that kind of stuff, it was still a very similar atmosphere where we're very open whether it be for jokes or for criticism or anything like that, where we say, okay, this is something that needs to change or whatnot. It was definitely a very collaborative and I wouldn't say it was necessarily, I mean, realistically, it was fun. It wasn't like focused specifically on fun, but like we had ping pong tables and we had the kind of thing, right? Like we've done our best to kind of maintain that connection to the roots, uh, so to speak, but I kind of keep that attitude and that atmosphere. 
but obviously as you grow up, as, as you get more formalized in your organization and things like that, you know, you put channels to things and things get more formal, but regardless, we try to keep those channels as lively and positive as we can. Yeah. It's always fun to hear about the culture and where it came from. And usually, I mean, especially in the earlier stages and startup and the growth phase, you know, it comes directly from the founders and for example, but as you mature and as you progress, then there is an evolution that has to take place. And part of that is formalizing what this culture that happened as a result of the people actually means. And that's that act of getting to, you know, curiosity, virtuous, if you have others. But that's really cool because that, I mean, it shows, you know, taking a big step and saying, well, let's let's be clear about what the, what this really means because we have more people now and we got to communicate our message in a way that doesn't just involve the founders, you know, communicating it directly to every single person because they could. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, we're not just hiring friends or people we've known for a long time. And also if we're getting people from all over the place. And so kind of setting that as, you know, a, a core aspect of their onboarding and learning about the company and the organization, making sure that they're aware that those are things that are, you know, just as much as we value, you know, high performance and, and all those kinds of things out of, a, out of an individual contributor, we also want to make sure that they are comfortable and that they have a clear vision on all of these aspects of the organization as well, because we want that to live for as long as center codes alive. We want it to be that kind of organization. So that's great. Got to keep it alive. And it's clear and you documented it. You wrote it down. Mm-hmm. You know what it is. <laughs> so therefore, exactly. it can live on forever in whatever capacity you like. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, Tony, last question here. If you could go back in time, knowing everything you know today, to let's just talk about from the very beginning of your center code journey. And you could sit down with your younger self and have a conversation and share some advice. What advice would you share with your younger self? Oh man, with my younger self specifically, and I think, I mean, really this applies to a lot of folks out there, confidence. I mean, I already had the passion for it. I already had the drive. I already had the the the, the want of ownership to kind of take this thing and run with it, right? But a lot of times I slowed myself down or I had missteps or I had, there were opportunities that maybe didn't pass by necessarily, but I just didn't see them. So I didn't let them pass. I just didn't know that they were there because I didn't, think about, or I didn't have the confidence to really say, look, this is something we need to do, or even have the confidence to say, I need to do research into this thing to better back my position as opposed to, oh, well, you know, they know what they're doing. It's fine. They do know what they're doing. But like you said, you know, as you get more and more knowledge and and more and more domain experience that broadens the things you have to know, and therefore you can't be quite as deep. So being, you know, in in my spot and, and where you are, having that deep knowledge is extremely valuable. And good leadership recognizes that. So being able to speak up, being willing to speak up, being willing to kind of put my my two cents in there would have been very valuable for accelerating the process while also avoiding some of the missteps I've made along the way. Yeah, awesome. Wonderful advice, uh, Tony. Thank you so much for sharing your background, your expertise, your leadership journey. Love the, you know, the organic growth that you talked us through and how you got from, you know, joining a company 10 years ago to be in the VP and the, the many hats that you wear and the different degree of hats. That was a new uh, angle that I had never thought of. And, you know, thought was thinking hats were hats, but we got tall hats. We got short hats. We got ball caps. We got beanies. We got all kinds of hats. And now I'm going to look at them in all a whole different way. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome, Matt. Well, thanks so much for spending some time and take care and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. 
Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.